following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Episode 721 of I Doubt It. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, the scholarly, Brittany Page, everybody. Also, the sleep-deprived, probably some poop remnants on my person. Uh, Oh, it's not probably. It's (laughs) most certainly, I am very tired, and uh, I am most certainly... I don't want to say covered. Yeah. In in well, poo particles. Well, that's it's why I said even, remnants. It's not even remnants. It's schmears. <laughs> it's like going to a fucking bagel shop. Yeah. And getting a schmear of cream cheese, except it's leaked poop out of the butthole of the Popeye. Right. And if everyone is wondering what the hell we're talking about, well, Popeye had his total ear canal ablation surgery. On Thursday, apparently and it's pronounced Tika as an acronym. That's what I've I'm picking up from the vet staff, which apparently are on speed dial now. Yes, so it's been a it's been a long recovery, and honestly, I've been surprised by how difficult it's been. We we haven't been getting a lot of sleep because he really, I mean, he's been incontinent, pooping himself, and that and we can't get a straight answer as to whether that's the medication mm-hmm. or just after effects of the surgery. Yeah, so we it's unilaterally probably not going to be a permanent thing, but maybe who knows? Ugh. Right. So we unilaterally decided to stop giving him his medications because he was pretty doped up. He still is struggling to walk. He kind of walks like a like a drunk person. A little wobbly, like a very drunk person. <laughs> yeah, wobbly and unstable. We're hopeful that. That that is just an effect of the medication as well. Um, but like you said, struggling to get kind of straight answers on what's going on. So that's been tough. But we stopped one of the medications that we think is the culprit for the past 24 hours. And at least the pooping, the pooping has been much better. So we're hopeful that that will continue. And hopefully he will be more sturdy on his feet as time continues as well. But it's been tough. It's been tough to watch. There's been periods where I uh, have been crying quite a bit. And it's definitely been tough to watch him feel so vulnerable and go through the process. We did get a really nice email, though, from someone who went through the same thing with with their dog. Because, Jesse, I know last time you were expressing one of your concerns was him losing his his hearing yeah well i was wrong about that apparently well we were i was totally wrong about it apparently the the ear canal the ear canal is like a separate thing that can be removed right like it's like a tube that they can actually physically remove so it's not like a hole the ear is not just like a hole that's in there there's actually like a a piece of, of, of equipment that's in there that can be taken out. Mm-hmm. So they didn't take out his eardrum. Apparently the hear, hearing loss comes from his ear, his ear just being sewed closed. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, there's no hole there now. It's just, 
a gnarly set of Frankenstein stitches mm-hmm. leading where the, the ear hole used to be. Yeah, and the vet actually said that the surgeon told him that it was one of the worst cases that he's seen in his time since doing these surgeries and that he... They had to get a bone grinder or a bone, bone saw. A bone, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, I don't really need to hear these details, I think. I'm good without hearing them. But we want to give a shout out to Genevieve who wrote us about uh, Ozzy. Ozzy, her dog, that went through this and that Ozzy was able to heal up and he was so much happier. And that's what we hear is that people who have this surgery done, the dog is substantially more uh, happy, active, more like themselves because they don't have to worry about the pain from a chronic ear infection. So thanks to Genevieve for writing us. That was a nice message to get while we were going through this whole uncertain ordeal. Yeah, for sure. And he's uh, he's still stumbly bumbly like right now. Yeah. <laughs> but at least his eyes aren't like he's a drunk guy in a in the room is spinning like just tracking back and constantly moving back and forth and back and forth mm-hmm. because he's he's so out of it. He's he's starting to get back to his normal chompy self, which for is sure. like I threw my back out. Mm-hmm. I'm all jacked up right now because while he's only 50 pounds, mm-hmm. he can't, at least for the first three days, couldn't walk on his own. So I'm carrying him everywhere, upstairs, downstairs, upstairs, downstairs. Mm-hmm. And 50 pounds isn't a ton of weight, but if that 50 pounds is trying to snarl and bite you because it's out of it and doesn't want to be carried in the first place, right? it's uh, it's not great. So. Yeah. so you're having to wrestle a 50-pound object. That's right. And that can be difficult for the back. It was indeed difficult for the back, but I'm, you know, we'll get over it. Yeah. So we're on the mend. We appreciate all of the shout outs, all of the concern for Popeye. It was nice. Jesse, you've started doing a live stream every Friday on YouTube and there were a lot of questions. I was in there doing the, what is it? Moderating? I was yeah, putting like questions up for you. Putting the questions up on screen, yeah. And there were a lot of shout-outs about Popeye and hope he's doing well and wanting updates on him. So that's that's always very nice. For sure. Yeah. We appreciate you guys. It, it is always... Uh, some people, apparently, and I'm not going to keep beating this dead horse, but don't appreciate the the, the view, <laughs> the glimpse into our lives. Mm-hmm. But we, we do it. We think most everybody does, and we appreciate the the concern. For sure. For what goes on here at home with especially with the Popeye so yeah we love you guys uh, let's get to some listener communication before we do I want to drop the phone number and the email address 657-464-7609 that is where you can leave a fewer than three minute voicemail keep them brief or Google will cut you off you can also email a voice memo from your smartphone same rules apply I doubt it at dollamore.com Last time on the show, or in a previous episode, I think it was last time, we talked about peer pressure related to wearing a mask. Well, no, to not wearing a mask. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah. Uh, but the peer pressures that have kind of arisen during the age of COVID, and even though we're adults and should be impervious to things such as peer pressure, apparently... Um, you think adults should be impervious to peer pressure? Yes, Yes, I do. All right. Well, in an ideal world, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, 
I don't feel like I'm affected by it. Maybe I maybe I am, and I just I, I'm one of those people that's like commercials don't work on me as I'm gobbling down a, a McDonald's or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. M- maybe well, maybe I am. I, that's what I heard when I when I heard that because it's peer pressure, societal expectations, norms, all of those things. I think can be kind of mixed together in a way, or it's hard to separate them, at least. Hmm. Something to think about, for sure. Anyway, here's Ashley from Texas. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Brittany. This is Ashley from Houston. First time caller, long time listener. Um, I'm Paul's wife. Anyhow, I was just listening to your episode from Sunday where y'all were talking about if you've experienced peer pressure for wearing a mask or for not, you know, or for adjusting your social calendar or whatever. So I just wanted to call in and talk about that for a second. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have. I have friends that just don't believe in it. Obviously, we're here in Texas. But the other side of the coin is when I do the typical female Southern thing and I feel like I can't speak up and say something, especially when it's a good friend. I'll give you an example. We have some close friends that we know what their life is like. We know what our life is like. And we get together with them, even still during the pandemic a little bit. And we were at their house for the Super Bowl. And when they invited us, I specifically qualified who all is going to be there. They told me, oh, it's just our normal group. So I said, okay, we'll come. Well, there, there were four other people there, like two additional households that I hadn't anticipated being there. And I, I mean, yes, it was outside for the most part, but I felt uncomfortable. And then I felt weird and bad for feeling uncomfortable. And, like, I couldn't say anything like, oh, well, we're outside and, oh, well, you know, I shouldn't feel a certain sort of way. Like, I don't know. I shouldn't feel that way, but it's absolutely, I felt like peer pressure almost, like, for feeling like, why did you invite these people and not telling me and being irritated by that, right? Because um, I felt like, man, I probably would have made a different decision and we wouldn't have gone because I specifically qualified, hey, who's going to be there, not anticipating these other individuals. So anyway, um, that's just a small example, but... Yeah, I would say especially living in Houston, especially living in Texas, deep red state. I mean, we go, it is extremely common to see people not wearing masks or extremely common to see people arguing with the barista at Starbucks or arguing with someone in a grocery store about why they don't need to be wearing a mask. So it is unfortunately real life. Um, But love you guys. Love the show. Um, Keep on, keep on keeping on. Thank you so much. Bye. Well, thank you for the call, Ashley. This is exactly what we were talking about. And what a what a betrayal. That's the word that comes to mind it's for exactly me. Exactly what I thought. Is if if I and this has been something that people have started doing, right? Is creating these bubbles of people that they will hang out with during the pandemic to kind of expand their social circle, right? But those bubbles are only so effective if those other people that are in your bubbles are taking it seriously and like don't have outside bubbles with other bubbles, right? right? Um, so if the bubbles keep growing and getting bigger, then what's what's the point of the, the one bubble? And inviting extra people over when you thought it would just be your bubble, that seems like a little bit of a betrayal, definitely a frustrating situation. I have struggled at work specifically as one environment where I'll see someone without a mask or this this happened recently. There was construction in our building and there were construction workers that were just walking around without masks. And that will be a situation where 
I don't know that it's it's peer pressure is what I would call it, but I guess it's mostly me struggling with myself of how to approach the situation because in public I have no problem talking to people who don't have masks on telling them they should have a mask on I was just at the post office the other day would you you ask that guy are you too good yeah this old man I'm walking by him he doesn't have a mask on this happens all the time at our at our post office because it's in Newport Beach and he says to me howdy as I'm walking by him yeah. and I'm like, uh, are you too good for a mask or what's what's going on here? <laughs> he didn't respond. But I, I don't have a problem approaching people in public. But like at work, that's where it becomes a little bit more of a gray area because I can't or I feel like I can't approach it in the way that I would. Well, you don't want someone to, who is actually putting you in danger to say you're creating a hostile or unsafe work environment for them for calling them out for their dangerous really assaultive behavior. Yes, and that's how I view it. And so I can see how in the moment Ashley was really struggling with how do I approach this with my friends that I thought were doing the right thing and and trying to stay in this bubble that we've created so that we can all be safe and and have a fun experience, but they're inviting more people into it. It it would be tough to to know how to navigate that. there's There's two things at play here. One is... The inviting other people into the bubble uh, is a bummer, and mm-hmm. but it's not telling you. It's not giving you the opportunity to make an informed decision. For sure. Just putting you on the fucking spot, having you show up, and then be blindsided by it. Yeah. Blindsided, not knowing what to do. She was also talking about almost trying to like rationalize certain parts of it thinking oh well we're outside maybe it's not that big of a deal because I'm assuming that's some guilt there of are these people going to be judgmental if I express concern about it which I feel it's just a bummer that people who are right and they're following the science and they have the correct priorities feel that guilt and Ashley should have been told to be able to make a decision for the health of her and her and her child and her husband right should have been given the choice in advance right not when you show up and then you're forced to look like an asshole if you say actually I don't feel comfortable with this we're out Mm -hmm. yeah 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 I guess I guess I mean we don't I guess I feel very confident about my ability to push aside peer pressure because I never feel it because we don't have a bubble. Our bubble is us. Mm -hmm. And you, I know you at work are, I mean, you're, you're, you're the, the object of ridicule in some ways because you take (laughs) it so, well, people tease. Yeah. Yeah. Because you take it so seriously. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, so I know when you come home, it's not like you were, woohoo, COVID party, you know? Yeah. Well, and can I say, so I, I I tried to watch the new Dave Chappelle thing that was released on YouTube. I don't know if it's a clip of his special. I don't know if it's a special. I don't know what it was. But it was like this 10-minute clip that was uploaded a few days ago. And he was talking about the pandemic and how he got COVID and how a lot of people were judgmental of him when he got COVID saying, see, Dave, should have been more careful. And he made a comment like, well, I got it and I lived. So if you want to hide and you want to be afraid and you want to whatever, I got it. I lived. I'm moving on with my life. Irresponsible. Very irresponsible and weird as hell to hear from him because he's using his own experience. Yeah. As though that's meaningful. I mean, how many 
hundreds of thousands of people have lost their lives from COVID and you want to stand on a stage and say, I got it. I lived. I'm going to live my life when you have the power to influence people, especially with the numbers of COVID mortality surrounding the black community. Yeah. One in a thousand black uh, Americans are going to die from COVID or or have or like the number is it's not like, oh, it's just a little bit slightly worse than the mortality rate of whites in America. Mm -hmm. It's a lot different. And it's irresponsible of him to 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 say it's just irresponsible. Yeah. And I gave it like a minute after that to see if he was going to like, I'm kidding. Bring it around. Some kind of joke that he was. I don't know. But he didn't. So I turned it off. So I don't know if like the last 30 seconds of the 10 minute clip, he's like, oh, hey, remember that thing I said? Ah, Ha ha. Yeah. Um, But not good. Not good in terms of how he can influence people. But he is spending a lot of time with Joe Rogan. I'm just going to say the Joe so Rogan thing. So makes sense, <laughs> I guess. I guess? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, his bubble is just dumb fucks, apparently. <laughs> so good times oh. for um, oh. for Dave Chappelle, who, by the way, I'm a fan of. It's not like I'm, oh, I have this axe to grind against Dave Chappelle. It was a bummer to see that. <laughs> it is a bummer. Yeah. Well, what's a bummer about it is he's following the same path as these like intellectual dark dark web dipshits mm-hmm. who, if they get a little bit of pushback, all of a sudden they jerk all the way to the right to try to defend their behavior. Like even Nicholas Christakis from Yale is acting like there is zero racism at Yale at all because someone's it just it's it's unfortunate that some people can't just embrace the fact that two things can be true at the same time. Yeah. That yes, you got COVID, and maybe or maybe not you were being safe. Who knows? But just because you survived doesn't mean it's harmless. Mm-hmm. And that everybody else is see living your life in fear. I mean, he might as well be Ammon Bundy protesting in Idaho. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. Also, you're not living your life in fear. You are protecting other people and doing what is safe. It's not about yeah. being afraid. Yeah, I mean, listen, because. I don't mainline butter into my veins doesn't mean I'm living in fear of 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 some kind of heart disease. It means, ah, given the circumstances, I'm taking the right path. Just, it's obnoxious. Anyway, thanks for the call, Ashley. Get me all peer pressured out. And shout out to Paul and Ashley, of course. We uh, very much appreciate both of you guys. Longtime supporters of the show, longtime listeners, and always nice to hear from Ashley. Absolutely. All right. Uh, stick, stick it with Texas. A lot of Texas action today. Hi, Jesse. Hi, Brittany. And hello, Popeye. Hope you're doing better. This is Daniel H. from Austin, Texas. I am calling you from my car right now because... Our house has been without power for 48 hours. So I'm stuck in my car calling you. And I wanted to address something you said, and I believe the last episode I listened to, which was episode 720, with this woman who had a vision of God in her dreams. Oh, my God. Help me. A little background. I studied theology. My major is theology with a focus in youth ministry and pre-seminary at the University of Texas Lutheran. Uh, very lucky to have gone there. I am a Christian. I am a leftist progressive. Um, I consider my job teaching people about, uh, yes, God, but also logic and love and the reality that the LGBTQIA plus has a place in the church and should have a better place in the country, uh, along with talking about 
you know, racial issues and how that pertains to our love of people. I, I just have to say, people like this woman drive me batshit crazy. I mean, again, being a part of the ELCA Lutheran Church, you know, it, yes, we have a lot more leftist-leaning thinking uh, going on, not nearly enough, but just the lack of logic uh, used by these evangelical Christians, and I hesitate to even use the word Christian, I think they're just out of their minds, um, I don't get it. I don't understand how people who voted for Trump can then call themselves Christian. They're supposed to be loving people. They're supposed to be kind to people. But I'm also aware that the majority of the church has failed and will continue to fail unless people like myself, young people who are pissed off, stand up, who are believers in a higher power, uh, maybe not believers in biblical literalism, because that's a nut show. It just It's stupid. But I, I really don't know what to say about people like her. They're the ones who make my job the hardest. Um, and I appreciate y'all calling calling her out. I know, uh, if I'm not mistaken, neither of y'all come from a place, uh, or y'all may have come from a place, but I don't know if y'all are believers. I wouldn't ask you to be. I'm not a believer in proselytizing. But I will say this. You have made the last few months of my life, ever since I found Jesse, your YouTube show, and uh, Jesse and Brittany, y'all's podcast, um, it, it's made my life so much easier, especially at a time where, again, power's been out for 48 hours. Love you guys. Brittany, Jesse, and Popeye, you're all the best part. Love you all. Well, thanks, Daniel. Um, a lot there. There's a lot there. Well, first, we hope the power got turned back on. Well, major insane storm yeah. running throughout. I, apparently, everywhere gets insane inclement weather except for where we live. Yeah. We get fires and earthquakes, but mm-hmm. I, we haven't seen snow. I mean, we, we you have to drive hours to see snow. Yeah. Um, so a major storm is happening right now. Like a million and a half people don't have power in Texas or something. It's crazy. So take care of yourself for sure. I hope that uh, you've gotten it back on since you called. <clears throat> it is interesting to me. One, I'm conflicted because I, although I do come from a faith tradition, I come from extreme, r- radical, fundamentalist evangelicalism. Um, looking at other groups with suspicion whether it be the gays or whether it be uh, black Christians. I was, I was raised being told that the Catholic Church was a cult, that Mormons, was a, that's a cult. So although coming from a tradition, no longer being uh, a person of faith, it is, uh, I don't view it the way Christians do. You know, I don't, I don't share Daniel's view that Oh, they're not really Christians. Yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, they are. Because they can use, as you know, Daniel, be, have, being, being learned in the word of God, you know that they can twist the scripture to, to, to because the words are there. The words are there. The words are in Leviticus that if two men lay together as they lay with a woman, if a man lays with a man as he lays with a woman, you take him to the edge of the, the city and you throw rocks at his head until he's dead. So saith the Lord. So yeah, they can be Christians because it's in there. Now, 
Obviously, they lack the ability cognitively to view things with nuance or they refuse to do so. So they don't realize that Jesus never mentioned homosexuality at all. I don't know. Well, I think that that is the interesting question, right? Is what's happening within Christianity that so many Christians are supporting Donald Trump and the Republican Party and they're not like Daniel, right? Yeah. Does that mean, and according to Daniel, it means they're not really Christians, he's the real Christian, but when so many Christians are supporting Donald Trump, you have to kind of ask that question of, well, then what's happening here? Right. Yeah. What are so many people missing that Daniel's not missing? And is it something wrong with those people or is it something wrong with the text, the religious text? Is it something wrong with the religious teachings? I mean, where where are the wires getting crossed? And it seems like Daniel would say the problem is with those people and not with the religious text, not with the religious faith itself. So I think that it depends on who you ask. Right. What, what they would say in terms of, well, what's the answer to that question? Um, but obviously it's, it's going to be more meaningful coming from someone like Daniel when he tries to have these conversations with believers because yeah. he is still a believer. It's kind of like when we had Robert P. Jones on from the Public Religion Research Institute about his his book um, with the problem of uh, white supremacy in American Christianity. And he is also a believer. So it means a lot more coming from him when he's trying to sway people of faith to evaluate racism within their within their religious communities it's not as though he's trying to convert them away from their religious faith just trying to see racism and the problem problematic ideas that are within those religious communities yeah so it's not just it doesn't just appear as an attack right on the text or on the religion or on the tradition right and uh you know we i've if i was if i was to go back into Religion, which I don't know how that would work, because once you don't believe that it's a thing, then it's you can't just decide to believe. I didn't decide not to believe. Um, I would certainly consider myself more of a, a Galatians type of grace Christian. You mm-hmm. know, think it's 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 all about the love. It's all about the grace. It's not about avoiding hell and you know the kind of the Baptist trope of there's you're going to burn in hell forever. Mm-hmm. They're, 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 it, the incentive is not avoiding punishment. The incentive is to do your fellow humans good. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Daniel. We appreciate it. Um, we are sorry <laughs> that uh, you and Rachel Ham share the same faith. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Let's get on to some more uh, current events related to impeachment. We got a call, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the goings-on over the course of the last week. Hey, Jesse and Brittany. It's Josh from Wisconsin. Uh, just wanted to call and talk about what's going on with the impeachment again and talk about what's going on in with regards to the January 6th insur- insurrection attempt out of our government. Uh, anybody that's been paying attention to even conservative rhetoric over the last two, three decades, possibly longer, how could you really be surprised that this was the end result of it? Uh, uh, It's shocking, it's disgusting, it's abhorrent, but it's not surprising in the least. Conservatives have been told for years, decades even, that they have to fear the big bad government that's getting ready to steal their rights and their way of life, that they have to be ready to use the Second Amendment 
to defend the democracy, that they're the patriots that are going to stand against government tyranny. Never mind the fact that we're the ones that elect that government, and we're the ones that send people to Congress specifically to represent us, but somehow they're going to be tyrannical. But how can we be surprised after we've been feeding these conservatives all this fear-mongering about that you have to be ready to stand against tyranny, that they stood against what they viewed was tyranny fed to them from lies by Donald Trump. It's exactly what was going to happen. It's not surprising at all. And unfortunately, conservative commentators, the conservative base and the Republican Party, especially their groups like the NRA, know that conservatives are motivated by fear. They're not motivated by logic or reason or empathy. They vote based on fear. They act based on that fear. And they've been fed these lies for years. So I don't know how we combat all these lies and all this fear, but something's got to change in this country. And unfortunately, it starts with a conservative base that doesn't want to change. Anyway, love the show. Keep it up. I hope Popeye's recovering well from his surgery. Popeye's the best part, but Jesse and Brittany come in a close second. Hope you guys have a good Valentine's Day. Bye. I'm okay with second place to Popeye. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Um, listen, it, it is not surprising. It's not surprising for a lot of ways what took place on the 6th of January. For one, there was a trial run over the course of the summer and into the fall with the armed assaults on state capitals all across the country and not even in like liberal areas. Idaho suffered their own assaults. Michigan, which clearly has a Democratic governor, but there was a there was a, a dry run, and there were no consequences. So when when illegality takes place, and an assault on on um, not only the building, the state capitals, but also police officers, when that happens and nothing happens, well, we got away with it. We're supported by the power structure. What do we think they're going to do? They just ramped it up and, and, and brought it to a larger scale to the federal government. Now we are seeing that there's going to be consequences. In fact, Josiah Colt, your, your ex-friend from high school, <laughs> uh, he just got indicted, didn't he? Uh, yes. So four charges. Uh, the grand jury brought four charges against him. And those are obstruction of an official proceeding and aiding and abetting. Uh, count, count two. That's a big one. Count two is entering and remaining in a restricted building or grounds. Count three is disorderly and disruptive conduct in a restricted building. And count four is violent entry and disorderly conduct in a Capitol building. And like you said, the aiding and abetting actually carries a maximum penalty of up to 20 years in prison. Yeah, aiding and abetting would be akin to, I mean, it's not like similar to, but as far as seriousness, it's similar to like conspiracy. Mm Mm-hmm. It is, when I was on the grand jury, the cases that there were conspiracy charges or aiding and abetting, they were the ones that really, there was some some pretty juicy time. Yeah. I don't know, and obviously I'm not a lawyer, but with the experience I had in, with the federal grand jury and the federal system, I, I don't know how he's going to avoid time. He's not just going to get like a house arrest or a probation mm-hmm. when you're facing aiding and abetting or a conspiracy. You know, that's... 
That's big time. Yeah. So um, we will continue to follow that and see what happens. Of course, he's being represented, I believe, by Chuck Peterson, big time lawyer in Boise. So we will see what difference that makes. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, uh, back to the call. Um, it is we are we are in the only way that we're going to be able to turn away from this type of behavior with the regularity that we, we've been seeing it is by consequences. Mm hmm. There is not going to be unity or healing for the nation if we just, ah, let's just forget it, give them a slap on the wrist, or as Mike, Mike Lee from Utah would say, just give them a mulligan. There needs to be severe consequences because this is a severe action that they took. Mm -hmm. And not just because of the lo lo loss of life. That's bad enough. They're threatening the stability of our union, of the, of the actual republic. They, they must face consequences. And everybody else up the line, too, mm -hmm. including the Trump kids and Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump, all of them need to face justice for this. Well, and what does it signal to future elected officials, future presidents, that if they lose an election, they can incite an insurrection and there will be no consequences? That's right. Yeah. And, and that is something that, I mean, are they thinking about that? Are they thinking about the long term? I don't think that they are. They obviously... Some are. I mean, Democrats and seven Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> well, and when it comes down to those seven Republicans who voted to convict Trump for the insurrection, uh, Burr, Cassidy, Collins, Murkowski, Romney, Sass, and Toomey, I wonder how many of them are, like, safe in this next election. And how much of a role that played, you know, like, mm. I, I wonder what the other variables that went into their decision making, because it isn't just they felt it was right. Well, Murkowski's up next year. Mm -hmm. I believe Cassidy is as well. Those are. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know the answer to it, but it, it seems. Is that too jaded of me? No, it seems pretty risky to feel you're safe. It would seem pretty risky to me, especially given the I don't think it's jaded. No, to answer, I mean, I'm just avoiding the question, apparently. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't think it's jaded, but I think it's giving uh, them a lot of credit and, and taking away a lot of credit from Donald Trump and knowing how rabid the base is. Because Cassidy's out of Louisiana. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. that's, that's pretty Trumpy country outside of New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, you said I'm giving them too much credit. I'm, I'm trying not to give them really any credit, actually, because I'm, I'm saying that if you voted to convict Trump for the insurrection, then what went into that decision? I don't believe that it's just because you felt it was the right thing to do. Like most of these seven Republicans, I don't I don't believe they did that because they think it was the right thing to do. Somehow they thought there wouldn't be consequences for it. Yeah, well, I think for Burr, that's the case, certainly. Um, but there, I think in the other cases, like Collins, I think we've we've witnessed her. We know what her how she operates. Yeah, maybe you're right. I, I would have to really look at who's when their elections are coming up and what calculations they may have made. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me that um, it, I mean, it was a slam dunk. It, the House made such a remarkable case against Donald Trump that I believe that there's going to be federal prosecutors sniffing around there using that evidence and possibly moving forward with a, with with uh, charges because mm -hmm. it's 
They laid it out. Yeah. Well, and even Mitch McConnell came out and said that. That's right. right? Uh, <laughs> but he he still didn't vote for it. So it makes you wonder, what are Republicans going to walk away thinking? And when I say Republicans, I mean like the Republican Party, the people that are registered as Republicans. What are they going to walk away and think after seeing what Mitch McConnell said? You know, particularly those who voted for Donald Trump. There are, and, and this was before, before uh, the, 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 the acquittal of Donald Trump, which, by the way, acquittal doesn't mean a minority didn't vote. 57 of 100. Mm-hmm. There was a, 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 a more than a majority, a vast majority, right. who voted to convict Donald Trump. But they needed two-thirds. They needed 67. They needed a super majority yeah. in order to get it done. So they would have needed 10 more Republicans. That's right. But, but, but anyway, leading up to... They, they've done analysis of different states, and there are there's kind of a mass exodus of party switching going on right now. People are changing their registration from Republican to something else, hmm. more than any in, in, in recent time, and far more than the norm that you would see after an election of like demo, like like after after uh, the 2016 election, I switched from no party preference to Democrat the mm-hmm. day after. Yeah. That typically does happen, but it's like en masse in, in like Pennsylvania, for instance, in, in like the, the, the week after, I think the number was 10,000 people changed their, their um, party registration. That's a big deal. Yeah. And I think we're going to continue to see that after, this is a speculation, but I think we're going to continue to see that after the, after the trial and after the results because, what, like you said, Mitch McConnell got on this floor of the Senate, gave a speech laying out the case for the conviction of Donald Trump. And then making some mealy-mouthed argument about why they didn't have jurisdiction. They, they, they weren't legally able to do so, which is nonsense because they had precedents. It had been done before multiple times in the United States Senate. The House managers on the very first day laid out the argument why absolutely the Senate has jurisdiction. Right. Because like you said, if they don't have jurisdiction... Every subsequent president from here on out who loses an election can incite an insurrection on the 18th of January. And if it doesn't take, they just leave office and no big deal. Mm -hmm. But if it does happen, then they get to be in power and there's no consequences. That's a scary place to be as as a country and Republicans. And I believe it's because they know they're losing influence and electability in our system. And uh, the only way they're going to stay in power is through means like that, through cheating, through violence, through uh, underhanded tactics. Mm -hmm. So why not set it up for the future to do that? They already disenfranchised blacks and browns in America. They already disenfranchised black Americans and brown Americans surgically, the courts have found. Mm -hmm. So why not uh, take it a step further? Right. Yeah. I Doubt It is an independent podcast supported by listeners like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you find the show informative, entertaining, or both, go to dollamore.com slash Patreon and choose the contribution level that's right for you. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporters, Janine M. Janine M. Daryl B. Daryl B. Jeff S. Jeff S. Alban D. Alban D. Jartan R. 
Jartan R. Rob D. Rob D. And we would like to give a very special shout out to Sammy2711. Sammy2711. Who upped their pledge on Patreon. Fantastic. So we've started to receive some pictures from those of you who have received your stickers. And we very much appreciate those photos. Please keep them coming. Make sure you tag us on social media at Brittany E. Page, at Dollamore, at I Doubt It Podcast. Happy that you guys are enjoying them. If you haven't received yours yet, give us until the end of February because we do have a a final stack here that's going to go out of about 50 envelopes, I would say. Listen, the first one third that I sent out, it took me three hours to get through those envelopes. So this has been no joke. Um, I know you're wondering, like, why am I doing it? Well, because that's what we do here. It's just a two-person operation. That's right. And we take care of our biz. We don't have a distribution house taking care of stuff for us. We do not. So you can feel confident when you receive your envelope. Number one, that it it's actually a sticker. I didn't lick it. There's no COVID, okay? And also that it was hand-packed by me. But minimal DNA. Minimal. As, as little DNA as we could impart. Yeah. We, we you know. Tried to make it as safe as possible. <laughs> We really thought about that, you guys. Yeah. Just know that. <laughs> we really tried to not give you our DNA. Yeah. So just just so you know, if you're waiting for your sticker, like, DNA. what the hell? I haven't received <laughs> mine. Um, just give us until the end of February. These last, I would say, 50 envelopes are going to go out by the end of this week. Absolutely. So anyway, thank you, guys. We appreciate you very much. All of your support goes a long way toward keeping the lights on, as it were, and and maintaining the show as we have it, uh, the 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 more we're able to to gain support, the more we can do, and uh, the show can evolve into something different and better, based on what you guys love about what we do already. So anyway, thank you for the support. Moving on. Dilemocracy, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So speaking of the Trump impeachment, he had a set of lawyers that were really unparalleled in their their lack of ability, I think. It was even worse than the first impeachment team. Definitely not dynamic speakers. I'll say that. And that's an important part of being an attorney, uh, particularly when you're trying a case in front of a jury. To be convincing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you want to be a dynamic speaker. You want to be engaging. You are trying to convince people to be on your side and to take what you're saying seriously. So if you're not a dynamic speaker and people are sitting there like, who gives a shit what this person's saying? That's not good for you. And Trump's attorney, Michael Vanderveen, was exactly this. He's not a dynamic speaker, and this actually continued for his media appearances that he made following the impeachment trial as well. Joining me now is former President Trump's attorney, Michael Vanderveen. Thank you, sir, for joining us. Let's get right into those words that we heard from Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. He ended the trial with this passionate speech about President Trump's involvement in the insurrection. During it, he said that the former president is still liable for everything he did during his period in office. Are you expecting to face more charges against Mr. Trump in the near future? And do you anticipate being part of that defense? No, that's just political rhetoric. And I was hopeful that something would come out of this, that the political rhetoric would stop out of Washington, D.C., but I guess apparently it hasn't. 
Were you, though, surprised to hear those words coming from the leader of the Republican Party in the Senate? I'm not surprised to hear a politician say anything at all. No. Well, throughout, throughout the trial, you denied that Mr. Trump had a role in inciting the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. You argued, first of all, that there was no insurrection. But during your closing arguments, you seemingly admitted that there was, in fact, an insurrection, using that word, saying that that, that was not up for debate. What role no, you, did the you, former you president you play? You didn't, you didn't understand the case. I used the word I'll give you the opportunity to clarify, my, sir. Sure. I uh, used the word insurrection in my closing argument when quoting the charging documents. Um, what happened at the Capitol on January 6th is absolutely horrific. But what happened at the Capitol during this trial was uh, not too far away from that. So there you go. Wow. Yeah. Seriously. Mm-hmm. What happened at the Capitol on January 6th during which multiple people lost their lives. Five people are dead and over 100, I think, police officers were injured. 140. Mm-hmm. Um, that was terrible. And this trial, just about the same. The same kind of bullshit went down during this trial. So apparently there were multiple injuries and fatalities during the trial as a result of the prosecution's case. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what I mean about not being um, a convincing person, right? I mean, it's... Or credible. I mean, goddamn. Yeah. Well, and I was listening to... You had the impeachment playing while I was getting ready, I think, for work. I don't know what day it was anymore. Everything's blurring together. Yeah, no no sleep and all the poop. And so uh, <laughs> um, I was listening to him. I was listening to the Trump lawyers start the impeachment uh, defense, and... It was just like they were reading a list of tweets that he wishes that he could have been tweeting over the past few weeks since his ban from Twitter. It was, I mean, how much are they paying these people to sell out in the way that they are? Well, there there was no defense made. No. There wasn't a defense. It was exactly what you just said. They started talking about Nancy Pelosi. Grievances. Yeah, Yeah. I'm like, why are they talking so much about Nancy Pelosi right now? How is this related to their defense? It wasn't. Yeah. But I think they knew that you could put a a, a straw-stuffed mannequin, a (laughs) scarecrow up there. Yeah. And with a tape recorder in its chest. Right. With just that, Nancy Pelosi, and they would, oh, yeah, acquitted. They knew, they knew. Yeah. Then you got Mike Lee and Ted fucking Cruz and Lindsey Graham going in with the defense team, giving them strategy points, talking to them about where to go. I mean, it was was a farce, Mm -hmm. an absolute farce. And the great thing about it is history will judge these assholes. They're going to get off the hook now, and electorally they're not going to be judged, but history will judge them because we watched what happened. We watched what led to it, and there's going to be even more context in a few months or years after everything is done, and we get to put all the puzzle pieces together. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be good for them. For sure. So anyway, Donald Trump, as I alluded to earlier, Donald Trump is absolutely facing charges right now, not just uh, uh, for this, uh, possible charges for his role in the insurrection, but also 
several other things that are happening at a state and federal level that he has, has to be worried about. Well, impeachment may be in the rearview mirror, but former President Trump's legal worries certainly are not. CNN White House correspondent Boris Sanchez is in West Palm Beach this morning. And Boris, new investigations adding to a laundry list of legal issues facing the former president. Yeah, that's right, Biana. Former President Trump expressing relief over the weekend at being acquitted in the Senate impeachment trial. Privately, though, sources close to Trump say that he is concerned about potentially facing criminal charges, and it appears there is cause for that concern. Uh, for one, federal investigators have made clear to CNN that they are looking at everyone and anyone involved in the violence that we saw on Capitol Hill on January 6th. And the DA, the, the attorney general, I should say, in Washington, D.C., has acknowledged that that office is looking at potentially charging former President Trump for his involvement in the insurrection. On top of that, investigators at several levels in New York are looking at Trump businesses, both potentially uh, for criminal and civil litigation as well. There are allegations that the Trump organization committed tax and insurance fraud. And beyond that, uh, Trump could potentially be indicted in Georgia for his attempts to overturn the results of the 2020 election in the Peach State. There is one inquiry there. There's also a criminal investigation looking into Trump's calls to the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger. And beyond that, Trump is facing a number of defamation lawsuits, including from two women that allege that Trump sexually assaulted them. We should be clear, Trump has denied any wrongdoing in all of these cases, and the Trump Organization does maintain that all of its business practices are done in compliance with the law. Biana? But no doubt the former president is facing some serious legal exposure. Boris Sanchez, thank you so much. And for more on this, let's bring in Jim Schultz, a former lawyer in the Trump White House. Jim, great to have you on this morning. So after voting to acquit the former president, Minority Leader McConnell said that the way forward would be through the courts. And, and even Trump's defense attorney seemed to suggest that, unprompted, by the way, that a better avenue to deal with any potential crime would be with the legal system. Take a listen. After he's out of office, you go and arrest him. So there is no opportunity where the president of the United States can run rampant in, in January, the end of his term, and just go away scot-free. The Department of Justice does know what to do with such people. That, again, is another example of what Brittany Page is talking about with these dipshit lawyers. That's Bruce Castor, mm -hmm. one of his other uh, defense attorneys during the impeachment trial. Yeah. And making a case. Well, look, the Justice Department should take care of this. Impeachment's not the way to do it, but the criminal justice system is. <laughs> you think Donald Trump's happy about that? Oh, my God. Apoplectic. Think he's, he's satisfied. Getting his money's worth there. <laughs> wow. Oh, good. So th this, is, this is obviously an evolving, an evolving situation. And I really hope, and we're going to get into some Biden stuff right now, that it might not make you happy if you're a, a big, giant Biden fan. But we really hope that Biden will do the right thing here and allow his Justice Department to be independent in this, in this nature. Mm -hmm. Allow his attorney general to seek charges where charges need to be sought. Mm -hmm. um, I will admit I am skeptical about whether or not that will happen. Mm -hmm. Given how Donald, or given how Joe Biden is showing deference 
to former members of the Trump administration. For one, Betsy DeVos. Yeah, so this is reporting from Politico that came out this week. Uh, According to Politico, the Justice Department, quote, joined with Betsy DeVos on Monday to fight a subpoena seeking her deposition as part of a class action lawsuit brought on behalf of some 160,000 former for-profit college students seeking loan forgiveness on the grounds that they were defrauded. Now, she's no longer the defendant in the lawsuit. This is the egregious part of the thing. For sure, read this part of the article. She's no longer the defendant in the lawsuit because she resigned from her office on January 7th because of the Capitol riots. But according to Politico, the lawyers for the student borrowers say they need her testimony to get to the bottom of why her agency for years slow-walked the loan forgiveness claims and then began churning out denial letters with little explanation. Now, obviously, Democrats have been uh, very unhappy with Betsy DeVos for four years, particularly related to her handling of student loan forgiveness. But and for-profit colleges, these these grifter organizations, right? But the Justice Department under the Biden administration is now coming to her defense, saying that it's essentially wrong for her to be called to give a deposition. That it's quote extraordinary, unnecessary, and unsupported, and that it is a transparent attempt at harassment, part of a PR campaign that has been central to the plaintiff's litigation strategy from the outset. Now that's the Justice Department joining with her uh, personal attorney. That's the Joe Biden Justice Department joining with Betsy DeVos to defend her. Yeah. What is happening? Mm -hmm. Betsy DeVos was one of the worst in the Trump administration whose sole mission, whose sole duty was to carry out the destruction of the Department of Education. And now Joe Biden's Justice Department, oh, this is egregious. I can't believe. What are they trying to do? This is harassment. How are, the, how are, are these group of over 160,000 former students who got bilked, how are they going to seek justice if they don't find out from the head of the organization that was screwing them over? Mm-hmm. Obviously, Betsy DeVos, during the course of her her time as the Secretary of Education, uh, was able to thumb her nose at Congress, to be uh, recalcitrant, not giving fair and uh, free free, uh, answers about things. That shouldn't be the case because she won't be able to do that in a court of law. She won't be able to do that in a legal deposition where she actually will be held to account relative to perjury. So why is Joe Biden giving her a pass? Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Well, and apparently, according to this reporting, there's a footnote in the filing that says the DOJ is representing, quote, in her capacity as former U.S. Secretary of Education and pursuant to the DOJ's representation of the U.S. Department of Education in the underlying litigation. But it seems like just an odd precedent that like if you resign or you're no longer in the office you get to evade the responsibility of answering for your behavior in your role but you still get to have the bells and whistles of the protection from answering for what you did you know Uh, that that seems to be a problem regardless of party I mean you should be held accountable for what you did in your role just because you resign doesn't mean you get to escape but you get to be uh, defended by the yeah. DOJ, even though you resigned from 
your so who else is this a harbinger of things to come who else is going to get defended what other criminal what other uh unethical clawed is going to be defended by joe biden's justice department i hope you're as outraged as i am about this the other thing a few weeks ago joe biden said something to the effect of if anybody is disrespectful of any do you know exactly what he said or, or, more, or more precisely what he said than I'm... Well, I mean, I, th- I think you're on the right track. Is, uh, if anyone in his presence says anything disrespectful, he will fire them on the spot. Disrespectful, right, right. Right. demeaning. I mean, I, I don't know what words he used, but that's basically... He was forceful it. about it. He, yeah. was, he was succinct about it. He was, he was determined in his language. It was on a Zoom call with his like staffers. Yeah. Yeah. And so... This last week, it was revealed that a deputy press secretary... Yeah, T.J. Ducklow. ...was not just disrespectful, but threatening to a reporter who was going to report on his relationship with another journalist. Which is, by the way, public domain. That is information we need to have to fend off conflicts of interest. Yeah, so he, the deputy press secretary, T.J. Ducklow, was dating or is dating an Axios political reporter. And so a Politico reporter, Tara Palmieri, was reporting on this story. And given the ethics questions that factor into the relationship, obviously, between a White House official and a journalist covering the White House, that was in the purview of her reporting. Yeah. And so she had, I believe, a male colleague reach out to TJ Ducklow for comment, and then she reached out to the reporter, Alexi McCammond, that DJ Ducklow is dating from Axios, and TJ Ducklow called her rather than the male reporter who had reached out for comment. And one of the things that he said was that he will destroy her if she continues to report on the story and uh, that he would ruin her reputation, in fact, if she published it. During an off-the-record call he also made, according to this Vanity Fair reporting, derogatory and misogynistic comments accusing her of only reporting on his relationship because she was jealous that an unidentified man in the past had, quote, wanted to fuck the reporter that he's currently sleeping with from Axios. And not her. And not her. Yeah. So uh, also accused the reporter of being jealous of his relationship, and that's why she was reporting on it. So he's just a misogynistic jackass. That is... An abusive, misogynistic jackass. Yeah, so what happened was they announced that they would suspend him without pay for a week. Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, said that he released a heartfelt apology or sent her a heartfelt apology uh, the apology was not heartfelt. No, <laughs> I read come it, on. but it was like someone else typed it and just he like sent a text. It was not heartfelt. But since he has resigned, though, since he has resigned, like yesterday or the day before, which is good. It's great. It's good news. You said that that probably means that he was fired. He was told that he needed to resign, and they gave him the opportunity to resign. Yeah, but it, what I'm saying is the reason it's still not good enough is they needed to fire him. Otherwise, it's, well, if you do bad, well, we'll just give you the opportunity to, to you can quit. He needed to be fired. Mm-hmm. Because if, if Joe Biden's going to be, period, we're, you're going to be fired, period. There's no no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I'm a tough guy. I'm going to thump on voters' chests on the campaign trail. You're gonna, we're not going to put up with that behavior. 
And then, oh, well, we suspended him without pay for a week. And then, oh, he he quit him on the... You know, let me... Come on. Let me actually read from the statement that Jen Psaki released, because you have a really good point there. One of the things that she said was, with the approval of the White House chief of staff, he has been placed on a one-week suspension without pay. In addition, when he returns, he will no longer be assigned to work with any reporters at Politico. Like, so the reporters at Politico get punished. They can't yeah, right. work with White House communication officials. It's akin to uh, uh, Mike Pence not having dinners alone with female employees. Right. So, so they don't get to to, to 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 hobnob. They don't get to build a deeper relationship and they don't get promoted. Right. So they get punished because he's afraid of being around the lades right. because of mother. Right. I mean, now we're more down into the Mike Pence thing, but it's the same thing. Well, and it should be the same standard. And so what happened was we posted this on the social media channels for the, uh, for the podcast. Democrats! And there was pushback. Yeah, people saying, oh, what? So he can't get upset when people comment on his personal life? He has a private life, too. He has a right to privacy. Yeah, sure. He has a right to privacy, but he's the deputy press secretary for the yeah. White House. And he's dating a political reporter. Here's what here's what if you're out there and you're kind of agreeing that Joe Biden this is fine you disagree with us I would have you do this think to yourself what would have I thought if if uh, Rod Shaw who was a deputy press secretary or Kaylee McEnany or anybody in the press office had told a reporter for any reason if you report on this I will destroy you. Think about that. And if your answer is, oh, my God, I would be outraged if Trump, someone from the Trump administration did that, then the answer should be, I am outraged that someone from the Biden administration did that. Well, and there was also pushback of people saying there are more pressing matters right now, like related to impeachment. And it's like, you know, that was something that people said before Donald Trump left office. That was kind of the defense, right? Don't talk about Biden. Don't criticize Biden because we need to make sure we get Trump out of office. And I could see that. Okay, sure. I understand that's a priority. But now he's out of office. And they're still saying the same and thing. And they're still saying the same thing. You can't criticize him. We've got too much to do. And listen, we started the show talking about Donald Trump, criticizing Donald Trump, but. Biden is president now, and we need to make sure that we're holding power to account. And if you are just on autopilot and you don't know who anyone in the administration is, you don't know what anyone's doing in the administration, that's not good because you want to continue to be politically engaged. There are still things happening here. Uh, and I don't I don't want to criticize Biden entirely because one thing that I'm happy about is uh, him making moves to end the work requirements for Medicaid. That's definitely a very positive thing. Obviously, Donald Trump. No, he is doing good work. There for sure there are good things that are happening. Yes, but that doesn't mean that we can't talk about where they aren't doing great things when they should have immediately taken action on TJ Ducklow. And they didn't. They didn't in direct contravention to the promise that was made by Joe Biden. Promises mean something. When you give your word on something, it should matter. Anyway, we'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. So... Early on in the show, one of the listeners told us to have a happy Valentine's Day. That was yesterday. 
Uh, happy Valentine's Day to those of you who celebrate. Happy Valentine's Day. Um, if it falls within the religious tradition and purview. Yeah, sure. Or the, the, the purview of your religious tradition. Yes, uh, but I want to say happy Valentine's Day to everyone except for the LAPD. Ugh. Because this story about George Floyd and a Valentine's Day themed meme, I guess, that was circulating in the department is going to make you feel disgusted. Los Angeles Police Department are looking into reports that its officers allegedly passed around a Valentine's Day image that mocked George Floyd's death. Eyewitness News reporter Rachel Brown live in the newsroom with details. Rachel. Yeah, that's right, Leslie. According to an LAPD spokesperson, the post allegedly showed Floyd's face and was captioned, you take my breath away. That, of course, is in reference to the police killing of George Floyd last spring. Floyd's cause of death listed as asphyxiation from, from sustained pressure. Excuse me. The LAPD says it received a complaint from a department member that the insensitive image mocking Floyd was being circulated on Valentine's Day and the department says it has not identified the actual posting and they don't know if it was created by an employee. Chief Michael Moore says the LAPD has launched an internal investigation into the matter. The LAPD issued a statement saying at this point the department has not identified any actual postings in the workplace or identified that it was in fact our department employee who created the image. We have raised the apparent existence of the image and directed commands to survey the work sites for it. If found, any employee or supervisor is directed to take possession and identify those present. The department will have zero tolerance for this type of behavior. Now, according to the LA Times, Moore also confirmed the department is investigating two Instagram accounts that people have reported as possibly being linked to department personnel, including one called Blue Line Mafia. So, internal investigation. Perfect. And who's launching the internal investigation, the very serious, to be taken very serious internal investigation? Michael Moore, LAPD chief. Mm -hmm. Remember Michael Moore from the days following George Floyd's murder? Remember this guy? So what that tells me is that two things. We didn't have protests last night. We had criminal acts. We didn't have people mourning the death of this man, George Floyd. We had people capitalizing. His death is on their hands, as much as it is those officers. And that is a strong statement. So remember, he apologized for that but this is the judgment that this person exhibits and only apologizes when he receives backlash and is under pressure to do so and now he's he's launching a very serious uh launching an internal investigation into this matter we're gonna get to the bottom of this yeah (laughs) i'm I'm really really heartened by that I, i i feel very confident that they're really gonna get to the bottom of it yeah and so how I mean, this is this is kind of the question that every every time one of these stories pops up is how do you reform this? And right. I mean, luckily, someone um, brought it to someone's attention and said, hey, this is circulating. This is a problem. 
but there's an internal investigation and they're saying that once it's found to be whoever it belongs to, that person will need to be addressed. You know, there's just all this nebulous language about what's actually going to happen and how you're actually going to get to the bottom of it. And I'm sure there's people who hear this story and think it's unimportant in the scheme of things, but it's it's not. I mean, this goes to the culture of police departments. Thin blue mafia? I mean, come on. Blue line mafia. Yeah. yeah. What did I say? Thin blue mafia or something. Yeah, well, I'm not committing it to memory, so <laughs> right. I... <laughs> I wouldn't expect you to. Um, it's, it's just alarming. It, it, listen, the, the same people that you expect, that you expect that we pay to keep us safe, to keep us protected, and they're, they're mocking and making jokes about the murder of a citizen at the hands of their colleagues... There should be, well, I'm not going to go off on a tangent, but there should be a far higher standard to serve in the job where you have the authority of arrest, where the, you have the authority of life or death over your fellow citizens. And if you get caught with this, you should be fired on the spot, without a doubt. Again, we'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. It's the asshole of today. Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey. Now, Dave Ramsey is this, like, financial guru who uh, shames people and believes that everyone should be able to pick themselves up by their bootstraps and that if you have money problems, you're basically stupid. Because he did it. He filed bankruptcy and came back from it. Everybody should be able to have the same privilege in life as him. Yeah. So he went on Fox News and he talked stimulus checks. And before we play what he says about people who are receiving stimulus checks, I want to put this in perspective and remind everybody that 5 million Americans couldn't pay their December housing bill. And that is according to the Mortgage Bankers Association. A majority of them said they would possibly get evicted or go into foreclosure within a matter of weeks if their situation did not change. 11% of U.S. adults said that they did not have enough food to eat at some point in the previous seven days. 80% of them said they couldn't afford to buy it. Wow. Okay. I also want you to know that before the pandemic, 40% of Americans could not pay for an unexpected $400 expense without borrowing money or putting it on credit. That's, that's, that's hundreds of millions. I mean, that's, that's almost hundreds of millions of Americans. Mm-hmm. If there's 330 million people in America and 40% of them couldn't handle a $400 unexpected charge, that's... Pre-pandemic. That's a vast, vast number of people. Right. Here's Dave Ramsey chatting it up with Bill Hammer, Dickface McGee over at Fox News about the stimulus package. And Dana Perino, right? Yeah. Well, to start with, we need to understand we got $1.7 trillion in student loan debt. $192 billion out of that 
Not so much. Let's do some ratios, folks. If we're going to do math, we probably ought to play math. Now, on top of that, when you dig into it, the whole idea that, that student loans being forgiven is going to stimulate the economy, that assumes that people were getting ready to pay them off this year and instead would use that same $40,000 that they were getting ready to pay off their student loan and stimulate the economy with it. Again, that's economic hogwash. It's smoke and mirrors. It's simply not going to happen. Dave, I just think there's a, there's a moral hazard doing this. You're oh, young. absolutely. You, you signed a financial contract. You have an obligation to pay that money back. Absolutely. Well, listen, there's some situations where folks are hurting, and this thing has become, it's gotten completely out of hand. Yeah. I mean, there are people's lives who have been destroyed by this program. Somebody needs some relief somewhere. I'm fine with that. But this has nothing to do with really helping people. This is a political gimme by progressives simply trying to buy votes. And we know that because when you go from 10000 in forgiveness to 50000 in forgiveness, the people who benefit are not lower-income people. The vast majority of people that have an average income or less have less than ten thousand dollars of student loan debt. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of people who would be blessed by moving it from ten to fifty are high income earners. So again, this is all political you, rhetoric. You know, it's Dave, not reality. Dave, you come from an interesting perspective. You talk to Americans across the country every day on your radio program. Yeah. What, what, what do you believe is the right number or the right answer for a for the next stimulus check? Well, this is, I don't believe in a stimulus check, because if $600 or $1,400 changes your life, you were pretty much screwed already. you got other issues going on. Uh, you, have a, you have a career problem. You have a debt problem. You have a relationship problem. You have a mental health problem. Something else is going on if $600 changes your life. And that's not talking down to folks. I've been bankrupt. I've been broken. I work with people every day who are hurting. I love people. I want people to be lifted up. But this is, again, it is, it is just political rhetoric, and it's just throwing dollars out there. It's peeing on a forest fire. It's absolutely ridiculous. You want people to be lifted up. You love people. You care about people. Yeah, but yeah. at the same time, uh, people you're are mentally stupid. Ill. Yeah, you're stupid. You're mentally ill. And listen, no one is saying that $600 is going to change someone's life, that it's going to solve all of their problems. It's going to ease a little misery, though. It's going to ease some misery. Yeah. And if he's been poor, like he says that he has, he's not poor anymore. He lives I'll tell in you a that. massive, giant mansion. Then he should know how transformative $600 can be. He can also cram this fake... Dr. Phil folksy bullshit. You got no huckberry on a on a grasshopper knee and hammer near her. That's scared of her to bear, dude. No <laughs> one's buying it, dude. You goddamn clown. There's two things that struck me though. Um it's akin to why are we giving all this money to X when we have homeless veterans? Oh, okay, well then let's give money to homeless veterans. No, that's a handout. It's the same kind of thing he's doing. And look, this clip, right. this clip was like two minutes long. And he said this before he said that he was against the stimulus. Listen to him here talk about how people really need help and he's for helping them. Absolutely. Well, listen, there's some situations where folks are hurting and this thing has become, it's gotten completely out of hand. Yeah. I mean, there are people's lives who have been destroyed by this program. Somebody needs some relief somewhere. I'm fine with that. But this has nothing to do with really helping people. This is a political gimme by progressives simply trying to buy votes. Somebody out there needs some help and I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with helping people. Cut to 30 seconds later. 
Yeah. What, what, what do you believe is the right number or the right answer for a for the next stimulus check? Well, I don't believe in a stimulus check because if six hundred dollars or fourteen hundred dollars changes your life, you were pretty much screwed already. Yeah, he's got all that empathy taken care of. He's all over it, Brittany Page. Mm-hmm. Well, and apparently he, uh, before filing bankruptcy, he had amassed a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio. This was in the 80s. And then he couldn't, he was over leveraged and he was acqu- acquiring properties and he couldn't sell them fast enough. And so he filed for bankruptcy. And I'm wondering if, you know, when he was like going broke and poor, you know, his little sad story there, if $1,400 would have been beneficial for him. Right, right. Well, also, he filed bankruptcy before they really clamped down on bankruptcy law in America. Mm-hmm. It's he, He's a hypocrite like all of them. It's just, when are we going to stop <laughs> propping people up yeah. that become gurus like this? And, and what their, their entire thing is that they sell their own story. I did this, and you should be able to do it too. Yeah. Why does that appeal to people? I really don't understand it because I hear it and it makes my blood boil because you don't know You're what other outlier. people have gone through. You're generalizing your experiences to everybody else. How does that make any sense at all? Now, listen, has he helped people? I'm sure. I'm sure he's helped a lot of people with his financial advice, and that's great. But shaming poor people under the guise of, I'm trying to be helpful and help everybody learn how to do the right thing. But you're literally mentally ill if you need $600. And this is all about your own personal political affiliation. You, You were talking about progressives the whole time, how it's all a political ploy. So why should anyone give a shit what you think? I don't. Brittany Page. Yeah, I don't either. But I, what I do care about <laughs> is that he's on with Bill Hemmer and Dana Perino Who's laughing it up. Whole, yeah, ha, yeah, ha, yeah. ha. If, you're, if you need $600, you were screwed already. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> with their millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. All of them. Three millionaires uh, cajoling the, the, the lower class. Oh, you should have made better decisions. Yeah. Perfect. Ugh. Perfect. Anyway... As always, we would love to know what you think. <laughs> we should stop ending the show with Asshole today. It's like the end of the show, and we're, you know, not happy. We should rename it uh, something folksy, like fuck this guy or something. <laughs> <laughs> is that folksy? I don't know. I don't think it is. We'll come up with something. We're taking your submissions as well as questions and yeah. comments. 657-464-7609. Email us. I doubt it at dollamore.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It.